here. Um, when you came in, it was 13 degrees, and now it's up to 16. So we're going to submit that to the uh, efficiency PEI. We'll apply the algorithm and see what kind of efficiency Fellowship has as a warming device. Just wait until the sermon's over. <laughs> you know, with uh, the present turmoil in our world, and we, we all admit to it, it's, our world is uh, changing and it's tumultuous, tumultuous times. There has been a sort of a, an interesting and unexpected byproduct, and, and that is that there has been a rise in activism. Uh, individuals who never saw themselves as activists are becoming activists. I don't know if you've been noticing. They've been interviewing people on TV, and they're like, "Well, you know, I never used to, I never used to be an activist, but boy, oh boy, I'm all riled up about this, and I'm all riled up about that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing something." So they might, they might end up joining protests, or they might end up writing opinion pieces in newspapers, or um, joining with other like-minded people. Uh, uh, in organizations that are have a, uh, an issue that they're trying to address. Um, yeah, just people seem to be kind of, a lot of people are just sort of getting off the couch and sort of getting uh, involved in the process because uh, they have, there seems to be a common concern. Uh, this is how I kind of see it without, but I'm being apolitical here. Um, but there, there seems to be a common concern. For some it seems that, uh, what was is in jeopardy, and for others, it seems to be that what was becoming is in jeopardy. So we've got people that, that, that are, are, are becoming activists because they feel that what was or has been is in jeopardy, and we have people who um, feel that what was becoming is in jeopardy. And so people are becoming activists. The definition for activism, or an activist, I should say, is this. An especially active, vigorous advocate of a cause. When, when I read in Acts 1 and 2, uh, when I'm reading that, I see the dawning of, of a new age. And it's an era in which each believer is being called to be an activist. Believers are being challenged to move out of their comfort zone and become activists. And that's what I see happening in Acts 1 and 2, and I, I want to explain that to you this morning. Uh, for those first century believers, those very first believers in Jesus Christ, their world had been turned upside down. The, the next great stage of God's, or yeah, stage of God's uh, plan of redemption had started in their very lifetime. The old covenant came to an end and a new one started. There's a job that they're being called to. There's an activism that they're being called to. No longer will it just be paid professionals 
who will be involved <coughs> in the work of God. Each true follower has been equipped and is being called to a life of activism. The Holy Spirit has been given to each one. And so they are called to take this gift of the Holy Spirit and to become active. And so when we read this portion uh, in Acts that we're going to be talking about today, um, in Acts 2, 14 to 21, uh, the, the writer, Luke, describes what Peter said as an explanation of Pentecost. He writes, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, this is at the day of Pentecost, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not, these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So, Pentecost comes on the first believers, and it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's as though there were fires on each of their heads, and there was a mighty wind, and they started to speak in tongues, and the words that they were speaking were glorifying God, and the tongues that they were speaking were actually uh, tongues from the Middle East that were familiar to people, um, not the people speaking them, but people that had come to Jerusalem for um, the Passover, and they were there, and they were hearing their very own language being spoken. And so there's this great commotion going on in Jerusalem. What is going on? And Peter gets up and he says, I can explain this to you. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody's going, Because <laughs> Joel is, is just this little, he was a minor prophet, meaning not that what he had to say was not important, but that he was just a little bit of a book, that his prophecy was just a little one. And so he's a minor prophet. And his prophecy is really baffling and very challenging. Even to this day, we, we're not quite sure of everything that Joel was talking about. But I, I want us to take a look at that before we move on to um, how Peter explained that what was happening at Pentecost, that commotion, was um, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. So what do we know about, about Joel's prophecy? Well, like a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament, there was a near future and a distant future that could be seen in the prophecy. So there, the, the near future is the most confusing part because they have a really hard time figuring out when Joel actually lived. There's not much detail on Joel and when he lived. Some people think you know, it was like 800 B.C. Others have him around 500 B.C. So it's kind of hard to know when he, when he was around. Knowing when he was around would help understand the prophecy a little bit. But basically, let me, let me put it this way. Joel talks about two events known as the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord is... 
In both instances, a time of reckoning. It's a time where God will bring judgment. And so, the first or the near future application was that um, Joel writes about this horrific um, local, uh, swarm of locusts that came and ate everything up. And the impression is that the day of the Lord was related to that, but or maybe it was a forewarning of another day of the Lord that was coming in the near future. And Joel was speaking this thing to sort of wake people up and say, return to God, because the day of the Lord is coming. And, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of God when the day of the Lord happens. So we know that that's not what Peter was talking about when he was talking about the day, that when he was talking about Pentecost is the fulfillment of Joel. Nothing to do with locusts, <laughs> right? Uh, and some, and I think actually he was probably referring to the day of the Lord, was probably, he was probably referring to the, the day in which the Babylonians came and destroyed Judah and took everybody into exile. The second day of the Lord is the one that hasn't occurred yet. The second day of the Lord is the one that we are in the front of. We are living before the second day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord is what we know is the coming of Christ. Christ's return. And we live in that time period between when first when Christ first came and when Christ will come again. And so Peter in his sermon says this about Pentecost that was going on in front of their very eyes, which was so bizarre and so like overwhelming and mind boggling and blowing. And he says What's going on is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Not the part about the first day of the Lord, but about the second day of the Lord. And he says these words. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I mean, right, right there, that's just like, such a revolutionary thing to say. Okay? Because prophecy only came from prophets. They were usually elderly men. <laughs> okay? Sons and daughters, no. Not so much. Daughters, yeah, not so much. Right? So, sons and daughters would be prophesying. Your young men will see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy, prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Peter's saying that there is a day of the Lord that is coming. And what's going on here at Pentecost, before your very eyes, is the outpouring of the Spirit that Joel prophesied about so many hundred years, hundreds of years ago. And things are changing. And the big change is, it's not just going to be these singular, solitary, unique individuals who are going to be prophesying anymore. It's going to be everybody. Young and old. Men and women. Maid servants, men servants, free people. Everybody is going to be getting in on something. And what is that something? Well, it's prophesying. But what is the point of the prophecy? Salvation. Anyone or whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, Joel saw a day in the future in which God's Spirit would come upon any believer, any follower of God, any follower of Christ. And those individuals would be activists. What was the definition of activism? Especially active, vigorous advocate of a cause. What is the cause? The gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that is the cause. And we are the activists. Do you feel like an activist today? <laughs> we are the activists. It's not a call to political action. It's a call to spiritual action. <laughs> it's a call to a spiritual activism, and it has to do with God's kingdom growing and the gospel going forward into the world. So upon receiving the Holy Spirit, each one is to play an integral role in this vital new era. This era which each one of us will become a purveyor of the truth, a prophet. You know, I believe that one of the greatest deceptions of Satan in our age is this. Satan wants to render the church impotent. You see, if the church is a group of activists, Satan's got to be worried because he's got a problem in his hands. So what does Satan do? I believe Satan has been, has been infiltrating the minds of Christians and has been convincing them that the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is for you. And it's, it's for you to become a better person. To be a holy and godly person. You know? So that you can just become a super Christian. That's not what the Holy Spirit was given to us for. We've talked about this and I want to remind you of this. The Holy Spirit is a gift to you for somebody else. The gifts of the Holy Spirit 
are not gifts for you to become wise and godly. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for you to have a godly impact on somebody else's life. And in so doing, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I think one of the great deceptions in the church today is that, you know, oh, we're a spirit-filled church, and, and, and we've got, you know, God is, is teaching us so much, and we're, we're getting so deep, and we're growing so much, blah, 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 and not one person comes to know Jesus Christ through that church. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not what the Holy Spirit came for. Jesus said it. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you will be my witnesses in Samaria and around the world. He didn't say, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you guys are going to become a super church with a whole bunch of holy people. He didn't. That's not what the Holy Spirit comes for. Yes, does the Holy Spirit change our character and we become more like Christ? Absolutely. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. Absolutely. Does the Holy Spirit give you gifts? Yes. But they're not gifts like, look at them. They're gifts for other people. Serving other, prophesying, teaching, leading. All for the purpose of the kingdom of God to grow and expand. The Holy Spirit was called, so was given to you so that you would become an activist. Look at Joel's words. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. My sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your holy men, sorry, your old men shall see dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And then further on it says, that, that, why? That, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this idea of the Holy Spirit being poured out on people for the purpose of activism is not a new idea to the New Testament. In fact, here's a weird example. Bazalel. Bazella. Anybody who works with their hands would take great comfort. And uh, this guy is a great example. This is when Moses was talking about creating the temple. Or God was telling Moses about creating the temple. And we read in Exodus 30, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works. You see, the Holy Spirit is poured out so that you do something. Right? Let's look at the next one. Gideon, the most unlikely hero in the Old Testament... He's hiding from the Midianites in a wine press, and God comes to him and says, you're going to be a great warrior, and you're, you and, and, and the people that you gather around are going to defeat the Midianites, the very people that you're hiding from. And look what it says in Judges 6. Then all the Midianites and the Malachites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. 
That's the looming threat, the mounting threat. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and then he blew the trumpet. The story goes, they defeated, defeated the Midianites. Let's take another example of how the Holy Spirit being poured out results in activism. David, the Samuel, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And David from that um, came upon David from that day forward. And we know what David did. <laughs> he became an activist. Look at Zechariah, a prophet. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehida, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord, so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has also forsaken you. So the Spirit of the Lord comes on Zechariah, and he prophesies, and he goes about talking to the people of Israel, giving them a message. Even Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? It says here in Luke 4, Jesus said, When Isaiah prophesied those words, or these words that I'm about to read, that he was about to read, in the synagogue in his hometown. He was talking about me. So Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The disciples, and this is the last one. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is to result in action. It's a call to activism. It's a call to be passionate about something, some cause. And that cause is very clearly... The gospel of Jesus Christ. Very clearly, it is the expansion of the kingdom of God on earth. Look at the gifts of the Spirit. The message of wisdom, healing, service, prophecy. All benefit others. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, faithfulness, kindness. All benefit others and lead to the gospel being proclaimed. Look at Christ's description of Christians. Two very active agents. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. There's no inactivity there. <laughs> you are to be a bland, insignificant lump of clay. <laughs> that fills a pew on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Is that really what we're called to be? No, we are called to be salt, and we are called to be light. Clearly, the giving of the Holy Spirit is a call to activism, not a remedy for self-help. <laughs> you know, I hear people say that my Christianity and my faith is a personal issue. I would say to you, if you say that, you're not a Christian. I mean it. Because... That is like saying you're an armchair quarterback. 
you're not a quarterback. <coughs> if you're an armchair quarterback, you can call yourself, I'm a quarterback. No, you're not. You're an armchair quarterback. You're not a quarterback. An armchair quarterback is somebody who the next day, you know, says what the quarterback on Sunday did wrong. Right? You're not, you're not a quarterback. And I, I, I would say this again. If your faith is just a personal faith, and you call it Christian, I, I, to me it's like a contradiction of terms. Christianity is not just about you. The Holy Spirit did not enter you for you alone. It was called, it was given to you to call you to a life of activism. Oh, those activisms are so crazy. Those activists are so crazy. They're so enthusiastic. It's a bit embarrassing, really. I don't like to be around them. They're, you know what I mean? They're always all talking about the gospel. Ah. You know, really? And everything has a time and a place. No, it doesn't. Because we are in an era between Christ coming the first time and Christ coming the second time. And there's a job that the activists are to do. And it is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got eternity to get to be perfect. You'll be perfect when you're in eternity. But you know, if you're working on being perfect first, and then you're going to get down to being an activist, you'll be dead before you become an activist. You're called to activism. You're not called to get, you know, your life all together. We're living in a new era, a new era. It's the era that Joel prophesied. It's an era of action. The fields are white for the harvest, Jesus said. The day of the Lord is coming. Joel said so. Jesus said so. Scripture says so. The day of the Lord is coming. It's an era in which whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the cause of the church. To spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to realize that the kingdom of God will be realized on earth. But ultimately realized in heaven. So I know I'm going over time. I'm sorry, but it was a longer service today. I'm almost done. Because I, I need to apply this. What's he saying? What's he want me to do? Does he want me to get out there and knock on doors? Is that what he's talking about? Where's my supply of tracks? What does it mean for you to become an activist? I don't know. But a few things I do know. When I was uh, working at Camp I, we used to do a lot of icebreakers. We had lots of students coming for for small group work and cooperation and learning how to communicate and stuff like that. So you do these little silly little games to sort of be icebreakers. And one of them was two truths and a lie. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play three truths and a lie to you. These are the three truths and a lie that I know about what it means to be an activist. All right? And I won't keep you in suspense. I'll actually tell you which one is the lie. <laughs> Number one. You need to allow your life to be shaped by three truths and a lie. Number one, 
We are living in a unique God-ordained era that became that began with the coming of Christ and will end with the second coming of Christ. You need to understand that we are in a unique time in history. You are not living on some eternal kind of timeline and doesn't really matter where you fall on it. Yeah, it does. You are living in a unique era of time. When Christ left and he's coming again, it's a piece of time. We're living in it. The day of the Lord is right here. And you know what? You've got a job to do. And that's number two. God's mandate for this era is to harvest souls and to expand the kingdom of God. Ain't nobody else going to do it. Even Billy Graham's not doing it anymore. He's too old. You can't depend on individuals. We are all called to it. And third, God has preordained a role for each one of us, his activists, to play in realizing that mandate of the spreading of the gospel. We all have a job to do. Here's the lie to avoid. Those are the three truths. The lie to avoid is this. Don't buy into the lie that God's mandate will somehow be realized through worldly means. We are not called to create an earthly utopia. We are not trying to create utopia here on earth. We are called to populate a spiritual utopia. The one that will one day be called will be a new earth utopia in the future. In other words, there isn't one way that we're all supposed to behave around issues, like politics, for instance. You know? Politics is not the means by which we are going to fulfill the mandate. And so, I see the church getting sucked into this. The church is getting sucked into this idea of political action and somehow we're going to fight a spiritual battle through <coughs> politics. It ain't going to happen that way. Right? So this is the lie. That somehow we're, we're going to be doing things as Christians as a block that are going to bring the kingdom of God on earth. No, that's not going to happen. And as a matter of fact, it's going to be very individual. That's why I can't tell you what it is to be an activist. Because for, for Ken and I, it's going to be two totally different things. I don't know what it is. But we're all called to individual paths of activism. And the lie is that it's not going to be some means of all of us doing the same thing at the same time or signing up for some program or whatever that's going to bring this about. It's going to be each one of us doing that which God has equipped us to do and being that kind of activist. The reason I say that is that 
Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, as Paul writes in Ephesians 6, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Ours is a spiritual battle, and it is a spiritual endeavor that we've been called to. So remember, and this I close, we are living in a unique God-ordained era that has a unique mandate, and that is to harvest souls for the kingdom of God. And you have a God-ordained specific role to play. It's not about you. It's about what God has called you to. Your faith can't be personal. Because that's not Christianity. It's not what Jesus taught at all. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us as we hear this call to activism that you gave to Joel so long ago. That each of us would be given a voice. Each of us would become prophets. We would be filled by your Holy Spirit. We would be enabled to fulfill the mandate that you've given to us in this unique era. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would realize this through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.